Welcome to the Innovation Junkies Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Innovation Junkies Podcast. My name's Jeff Standridge. This is Jeff Amrine. Glad to be back. Hey man, but this has been a lot of fun. We've got three weeks under our belt talking about sales, marketing, the psychology of selling, the art of persuasion and influence. We've talked about uh, crafting your brand promise and your brand messaging and storytelling and that kind of thing. Today, we're going to be talking about winning more business. Uh, just just jump into to how do you get clients? Yeah, client acquisition is super important. And, and again, there's a, science, a scientific way to go about it. So talk a little bit about how important it is to understand your target audience. Yeah, you know, the the first red flag I see in a lot of businesses that we work with is when we ask the question, um, so who's your ideal customer? And and the response is, oh, any anybody can use what we have. Anybody can. <laughs> everyone. And, and everyone, that's right. And and my response to them is, you know, you may be right that anyone could, but you will go broke trying to sell to everyone. Because you are, you can't create a, a an effective messaging strategy to get the attention of everyone, and so what happens is you you shoot for the middle, middle, and you you really don't resonate with anyone, and as a result, you run out of money before you get your first client. Yeah, or or you target messaging towards a group that you might like to market and sell to, and you find out that messaging is completely alienating to your true target audience. And you see what happens on the backside of that marketing campaign. I mean, we've seen people that are a little tone deaf to who their real customers and their ideal client profile are. And they, they end up doing a pretty remarkable job in destroying value in the business. You know, I like to suggest that uh, when, when, when organizations go through this UVP, this unique uh, the unique value proposition, or they go through their ICP, their ideal client profile de definition, when they're working on both of those things together, here are my ideal clients and here's the unique value that I feel like I bring them, is is to really spend some time thinking about, and we talk about uh, target uh, or stakeholders rather, primary, secondary, and tertiary, right? Uh, we talk about primary stakeholders being the end users, the, the primary beneficiaries of their product or solution. We talk about secondary being the economic decision makers or the technical decision makers, right? Uh, so many times you're, you're selling to, a, to an individual employee population uh, uh, as your primary stakeholder, but the economic decision maker is going to be somebody some higher up in the organization. Uh, or it could be if it's a software solution, yeah, the end user may be a, an accounting person, but, but your technology organization is going to have influence uh, into the economic decision because of the tech stack that they may be working with. And then your tertiary are those, those other ancillary influencers that can either be positive influencers or can be saboteurs. And so you really need to know who those are. Uh, in an organization or, or when, when you're looking to, to identify who your buyers are, but, but really stepping back and, and building a profile and understanding if you're a B2C customer, uh, or business rather, if your customer is a, is a consumer, uh, and we call that business to consumer market, then you really need to understand their, their demographics. Uh, are you selling to uh, young millennials? Are you selling to Gen Xers? Are you selling to 
the greatest generation kind of just age range. Who are the people that generate the, the greatest amount of your sales or whom you think will generate the greatest amount of your sales? Who are those ideal folks for whom the buying path is much simpler and much easier? Uh, so demographics and then psychographics, what are they thinking and what unmet need is it that you're filling on behalf of, of, of that demographic seg segment? Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally does. I mean, that, the, the idea of really understanding who that customer is an enterprise by title, by position, by, by business type, it, having that granularity of understanding is important. The same with the consumer too. I mean, you ought to be able to rattle off something that looks like a very detailed description of who that person is as a person, where they live, what they do with their time, where they work, you know, what they spend money on. All that stuff will help you make much more precise uh, targeting and do a much better job with customer acquisition. Yeah. So in a B B2C business, we're thinking about demographics and psychographics. In a B2B, where we're selling business solutions to other businesses, we're still thinking about demographics to some degree, but we're thinking more about, as you said, title, role within the organization, buying authority, et cetera. But we may also bring in some firmographics, uh, which are, are the, the industries that you particularly serve, the size of companies that can actually afford your products or solutions, maybe in terms of number of employees, number of locations or number of or, or amount of revenue. Uh, and you've got these, these firmographic components that you bring in. But then when you get the firmographic element identified and you start identifying the buyer in there, the, the CIO, the CTO, the CFO, the CEO, the VP of engineering or whomever, then you have to start getting into some of those psychographic things as well as about what problems are they having? What challenges are they having? What unmet needs do they have? And how do you go about crafting a, a, a unique value proposition to actually address those unmet needs, so to speak? And once you do, you do that, you've got some of the more customer understanding. You, you know that ICP, that customer profile. What next in terms of strategies for client acquisition? Where do you go next? Well, then you got to figure out how do you get in front of them? You know, if you know who your ideal client profile is, whether it's B2B or B2C, then you start asking your question, what's the most cost effective way to get in front of as many of them as possible on a regular basis? Um, and, and you have to understand, and I think you mentioned this in a previous episode about the fact that <clears throat> that it sometimes it takes six or seven times to getting in front of someone uh, to to before you actually get their attention. I saw a stat not long ago that said, uh, that an actual sale, actual transaction usually occurs somewhere between the eighth and 12th interaction with someone. In fact, 90% of the time it happens between the, the eighth and the 12th interaction, but 90% of salespeople give up after the third. And so that's where you have uh, the, the disconnect there. So you, you got to figure out how to get in front of them because you're going to have to get in front of them multiple times, hopefully using multiple channels and multiple media, so to speak, email, telephone, digital marketing, uh, paid ads, what have you. Uh, and, and, and you need to start having a, a, a mechanism to, 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 and, and messaging to actually get them to take action. And those channels, and modalities are all going to be different, likely different, depending upon who it is that you're trying to get to. Whether That's right. Or not That's right. On the social, whether or not you need to use traditional media, whether or not, you know, white papers and, and sort of thought provoking stuff like that is interesting, whether or not 
It's got to be some personal. You're going to go to trade shows. Uh, all that stuff is you can't just peanut butter over every single ICP you'd have. It's got to be specific to what will work best with that particular group you're trying to get to. And and the more of them that you are using in tandem, the better, right? Um, you know, uh, unfortunately, I see a lot of people who will who will buy a a very high priced campaign of sorts. Uh, maybe it's a a lumpy mail package that that delivers an actual sample uh, or a video brochure or or something that that different. It's kind of different and differentiates them themselves from their from their competitors. But then they have no follow up strategy, and they think that they're going to spend ten thousand dollars and they're going to send out a hundred of those or or a thousand of those, and they have no follow up strategy. Well. The phone is almost never going to ring just because you make one interaction or you you, you make one uh, uh, outreach to a to a set of prospects. You have to have multiple channels to get in front of them and to follow up. You know, never underestimate the power of direct outreach across multiple media multiple times. Yeah. I have everyone that I work with create their dream list 100. What are the 100 clients or customers that you dream to do business with? Anybody can come up with 25 or 50. Uh, you have to push a little bit harder, but anybody can come up with 70, 75. But when you start trying to get that last 25 to get to 100, it forces you to think differently about uh, whom you're going after and where they might be located and how you might get in front of them. And then you start working that list and you work that list multiple times, as I said, eight to 12 times per until they tell you no. And even when they tell you no, you ask them the question, do you mind if I follow back up with you in about four months or three or four times a year? I'd like to still keep sending you some of our thought leadership content because I think it might help you in your business, whether you call on me to do anything or not. Is that okay? And you stay in front of, you know, I, I I had a uh, client, it wasn't even a client. It was a, uh, a presentation that I did for a group of nonprofit executives. And, you know, we don't really do a lot of work with nonprofits uh, unless they're very, very large nonprofits. And this was a group of fundraising professionals. This was probably seven years ago. And I um, had a conversation with them, uh, talked about strategic planning and board development, I think was the topic. And I'm kind of provocative uh, in my presentations and asking some real tough questions about how they operate when I work with, with, with nonprofits in particular, but particularly any organization. And uh, fast forward two years and I got a call from a CEO of a very large nonprofit who was there. And she said, you know, I've got your presentation here from two years ago and you, you asked some questions that I couldn't really answer then. And I've been observing and I can answer them now and I don't really like the answers. Would you mind coming and meeting with our, with our uh, executive board, our executive committee of our board? And I said, no, I'd be glad to do that. So two weeks, we schedule it. Two weeks later, I'm driving down to Little Rock and um, she, she texts me and says, can you bring a bio? Our other consultant is bringing a bio. Well, I didn't, first of all, didn't know I was going down there for a tryout. I thought I was just going to go down there and have a conversation with these guys. Sure. And so I looked in the back of my truck and I had about a, a, a box, half box of books. And so I just carried in 10 copies of, of the Innovators Field Guide and I laid them down face, face first with back up where I had a bio on it, put it in front of the 10 seats. And I said, that's my bio. 
And, uh, you know, that, that organization hired me on the spot for two, three month engagements, uh, which was a fairly, fairly lucrative just in and of itself. But toward the end of that second engagement, one of the board members who happened to be a, a board chair of a very large organization down in South Arkansas, uh, wanted me to do, wanted me to talk with their CEO, ended up signing that client. And we're now on our fourth year with that client. He referred me to another client and we're on our second engagement with that client. That then got three other clients that were in the sphere of influence of that original client. And we did one engagement with one. We're, we're on the second engagement with another and we've, we're in the first engagement with another. And so all told over the last, call it five years since that presentation seven years ago, it's probably been close to a half a million dollars of revenue uh, that came from from that thought leadership presentation that I did and the thought leadership of having a book and being able to lay that book face, face down with a bio on the back uh, that I can equate to about a half million dollars of, of revenue for our organization. And you committed to the process. That's the thing. That's right. I mean, you committed to the process. You stayed with the process. So if you were to think about it in terms of lifetime value of that initial customer acquisition of that first customer, it's going to be a significant lifetime value for the effort that was put in, you know, to give another example, to follow up with another example that's kind of apropos, our friends at Aptigy uh, in Little Rock mm, that have built yeah. a great company, a market leader in uh, educational and uh, software and marketing software for educational institutions, picked a very difficult vertical to sell into school districts. And what they said repeatedly was, we committed to the process. We, we had people that would kit, commit to the process of continuously having those multiple touch points with the, this audience that we, we began to understand. And the key was just committing to the numbers of the process. It's a law of large numbers, those multiple touch points and staying with it. And ultimately, it becomes a sort of rolling snowball in, a, in an industry like that, where if you commit to the process, you're going to begin to have more inbound than outbound mm -hmm. because you become a known. And so the difficulty of the grind in the early days lets up, but you don't let up. You continue to push hard in that space with the tactics that work in client acquisition. That's, that's exactly right. I couldn't, couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Well, um, we're going to need to probably land this plane in a future episode. We're going to be talking about client retention. Uh, in fact, why don't we just do that in the next episode? Because here's the deal. Client acquisition and client retention, uh, uh, I would say that client retention is also an acquisition strategy. Uh, the, sure. the, the easiest client to sell is one that you currently have. The easiest Land client to expand, upsell, right? that's exactly right. Land and expand. So we're going to talk about that in the next episode where we talk about uh, the value of retaining your existing clients. This has been Sounds another great. episode of the Innovation Junkies podcast. Thanks for joining. See you next time. Feedback from listeners like you helps us create outstanding content. So if you like this episode, be sure to rate us or leave a review. Also, don't forget to subscribe to get the latest growth and innovation strategies. Thanks for tuning in to the Innovation Junkies podcast.